Hi, everyone. This is Chris Lim with the Theotech Podcast. And today, I'm delighted to have Patrick Kamani Nyambura on the show. Uh, Kamani is an international student studying communications and business administration at Northwest University. And he came here from Kenya, Kenya about four years ago. Yes. And we're delighted to have him as an intern with Theotech. So, Kamani, welcome. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. It's been a pleasure working with you the last couple of weeks and I'm really looking forward to where this goes. I'm, I am too. Uh, why don't you open up by telling us a little bit about your story and how you ended up being able to be here at Northwest U? Well, sure. Um, so just going back to, I was born in Kenya. I was born in a small village called Ngenia, Kenya. Mm-hmm. And um, I grew up picking coffee beans for two, $2 a day. Wow. My my mom and my grandma, who basically raised me up, we started picking coffee beans and I would go with them to the coffee plantation surrounding my village. Mm. And going to school, when you make $2 a day, when it costs like $50 a month to go to school, it's not a big priority for parents from where I grew up. Mm. So the people of Genia, the kids, really never had a vision to go to school, especially after, after primary school. So for me, um, I got a really good opportunity. I was blessed with an opportunity to go to high school mm-hmm. f- with this organization called the Hildeback Education Fund. The Hildeback Education Fund was started by Chris. And Chris was a guy from my village who grew up in even worse conditions than I, than I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And he was sponsored by a Swedish woman back in the 1970s and ended up doing really well in school and ended up going to the best high schools in Kenya, best universities in Kenya, ending up to go to Harvard, graduating with a law degree, started working for the United Nations as a human rights advisor, Uh and he's still working with them. And actually, he took over human rights advising at the United Nations. And uh, this is all without knowing that his benefactor was a Holocaust survivor. Wow. Because Hilde originally was from Germany and escaped uh, the Holocaust to go to Sweden, became a teacher. And then she learned of this program where they could sponsor kids in Sweden, but the kids were from Kenya. I see. And from a list uh, of kids, she picked Chris to be, to be his benefit, her beneficiary. So as a result, Chris decided to start this foundation mm-hmm. and he also decided to look for him, for her mm-hmm. after, you know, he's been successful. He works for the United Nations. He has connection. He knows people. So he went to the Swind- Swedish embassy in Kenya, talked about this benefactor, this angel who had stepped into his life and totally changed it. Wow. And uh, there was this, these two ladies from California who had come over for an exchange program in a very interesting way and they met Chris's cousin. And Chris's cousin told them the story of how Chris is starting a new foundation to help kids because he was helped and they thought it would be really interesting for them to make a film. Mm. So they decided to make a film and the film is called A Small Act and uh, it's a documentary and it was taken out by HBO after a while and uh, it became really popular. It was an opening film in Sundance in 2010 and it got so much traction here in the US. And by this time, I was able to go to high school through the foundation that Chris had started. I was able to go to high school and had graduated high school by uh, by 2012. Mm. Then there was a lady from um, Wisconsin who saw the film reached out to me on Facebook and offered me sponsorship to come to the US. And after a few months of trying to apply to different colleges here in the US, I was able to 
get admitted to a college nearby in Wisconsin. And um, I flew from Kenya uh, on a Thursday after getting a visa at four. I flew out at 10 p.m. That's, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's day. it. Yeah, that's okay. the day. And it was just a crazy, a crazy, crazy ride. And it has been since then. And this is in 2014. But uh, moving from Wisconsin to Washington State, where we are now, is um, was another story of of, of such it was similar to what kind of happened because the president of the school here mm-hmm. kind of heard my story and how I had I had ended up in Wisconsin and thought that my story was really interesting and he was happy to offer me a, a place at the school where I am now and I'm graduating in May. So that's how a big, a long answer to the short question. That where, is a great you know, story though. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think any of us would have really known that. And also to hear your firsthand experience from picking coffee beans, is that right? Yeah. For $2 a day. Yep. Um, and in some ways how this generosity has enabled you to come this far and Chris's story as well. Yeah. That's just incredible. Thank you. Um, Thank are there, you. Are, so are there ways actually, I know this is kind of jumping the gun, but these kind of funds that you talked about, the Hildebach Fund? Yeah, it's called the Hildebach Education Fund. So um, it's, we take students from Kenya from poor backgrounds. Mm-hmm. We take which is bright kids from poor families. We're gonna assess the situation at their houses and we offer them scholarship from uh, for four years of high school. So okay. we take the brightest kids to ensure that they get the best education. Mm. And so far since the its inception in 2002, the foundation has taken more than 1700 kids through four years of high school. I see. Okay. And um, it's been such a great, um, pleasure to work with the foundation and kind of track where kids end up and Mm -hmm. um, to be an evidence of the small acts that people can do so if you know being able to help and being Mm -hmm. able to see what actually happens when you help people has such a pleasure of mine to work with people who are donors here in the u.s or Mm -hmm. outside in the world but yeah it's online it's um www.hildeback education fund if you go on the website we have different plans and uh, okay on how people can help and how you can be part of the organization. And how, how much does it typically cost to put a student through four years of high school in Kenya? Typically, uh, we take these these kids specifically for our uh, for our foundation. It costs like a thousand dollars per year because mm. we take them to the best schools. We take the, we take them to boarding schools mm. because having the situations at home, these kids are poor kids. Mm. The parents have no way of making sure these kids actually eat at night. But when you take this kid to a boarding school, you ensure of like their safety, their health, you're also ensured of how they're eating really well. So mm-hmm. their thousand dollars takes care of like their time and they don't have to worry about anything else, but just be able to focus on school. It's interesting, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to forget that because I grew up in a home life where in my family education is so important. Yeah. And so obviously my parents would want to, my grandma, my mom, whoever would want to take care of all of those needs, right? Yeah. I don't have to cook, I don't have yeah. to do all this stuff, mm-hmm. just like to study, yeah. get good yeah. grades. Yeah. 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 So being able to put them in a boarding school yeah. helps the kids to focus instead of yeah. having to worry about a lot of things. Yeah. It's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, uh, it's been like, now that I look back and see how, how the foundation focuses on making sure that other needs are taken care of yeah, so that the kid, they can focus on, on school mm. and how important is it and how it has helped actually these kids really excel. Mm-hmm. We, um, we have kids in going to really good schools in Kenya, really good schools in France. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of like created this 
pool of students who are not only great in what they do, but they can see possibilities beyond where they grew up. And these kids come from really poor backgrounds. These are people that never really thought they could get out of, outside the country. Mm. But we've been able to create a possibility for them that, you know, you go to school and you see all these vast uh, possibilities of what can become of you when you get a good education. Mm-hmm. So it's been a ride. So tell me more about uh, maybe you're, you're not yet at the place where Chris is at the UN, but I know that you have some dreams for things that you might be able to do to contribute to Kenya and to kind of help those who you lived with in your early years and kind of experience that firsthand. Tell yeah, me, let's yeah. share more about those dreams. Yeah, um, so I really care about people and I would like to help people. And that could be because to get where I am, I have been really, really um, helped by different kinds of people. Strangers definitely kind of stepping into my life and saying, here's a stepping stone for you. And I would like to do the same uh, for other people. Mm -hmm. But for me to do that, I need to, you know, graduate out of college, get a good job. But for me, a big dream of mine is pursuing social entrepreneurship, where I can be able to tell people, this is what you can do with what you have. This is what you can do with the resources that are close by you. So like going back to Kenya and kind of starting um, a vocational training school, Mm. or like making available the things that I know are important to schools. Like currently I've been looking at the idea of providing laptops to schools, or like making sure that kids get access to the internet and actually kind of provide the possibilities that can happen when you get a vast um, access to um, internet Mm -hmm. and the knowledge of computer. Because for the last couple of years, which is, this could be against what I've been talking about, but I think we've so much focused on how it is important for kids to get education. And I've seen the benefits of that. Yeah, I've seen its transformative power, but at the same time, I think kids need skills beyond just being book smart. Yeah. You know, you need to have skills like how am I going to get my resume on point after I graduate? Mm-hmm. How do I get to consider like all other skills that I can do? How can I get myself to be able to know what's a Word document? How can I type? Because yeah. most of these kids, we go to school and we really book smart. We are excellent when we get out of high school. Mm but you give a kid a laptop and they don't know what to do with it. They have seen it. They've seen oh, it. But they've never movie, used it, but actually. They've never used it. Oh, wow. Okay. So like being able to teach kids at a young level, right, saying, hey, this is how you could do it. This is the possibilities that you can have when you learn how to use a computer. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I've been focusing on, like getting um, resources together and providing school supplies to, uh, do, um, to students, all so, schools back home. So this is something that I think is uh, hard for me to grasp because I haven't experience firsthand, but it yeah. sounds like mm-hmm. they are being educated, but maybe under an older system or like with older materials, books and those that kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so with the internet and everything moving so fast into the future, yeah. they have a lot of knowledge that was very relevant, maybe from like the 90s or 2000s yeah. in terms of yeah. the materials they're using. Yeah but they don't have access to the latest things that are happening. Yes. Okay. Like for myself, I never really used a laptop until like 2019, 2021. Like my full grasp of how to operate a computer, I would say I got it on like 2022. 
Okay. Like 22, at 22, I could say like someone can give me a laptop or a computer and I'll be like, I can navigate my way myself, oh, okay. you know, my, my way through it. So like giving that possibility to someone because I've seen what it can do. Yeah. Like if you if you're able to know, um, employers are moving in a totally different directions now. Like there's remote working, like you can do all this kind of work remotely. Mm-hmm. But how do you do that if you don't know? how to use a laptop or how you do not know how to use a computer. Yeah. So being able to tell or to show kids that you don't even have to own one because you can use their cyber cafes everywhere in mm. Kenya where they can go and use it. But at the same time, they don't know how to. Yeah. You know, they, they don't have the knowledge of how to even sit at a cyber cafe. So they don't have get, computer literacy. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. So most students lack that, and especially at the rural places in Kenya, like where I grew up. I know the the last time I was in Kenya in 2016, I took my laptop with me, mm-hmm. and I was trying to show all these videos about the U.S. and kind of my visit in the U.S. and kind of, and I was looking for a projector. Mm. And I couldn't find a projector like in, I want to say, six mile radius of where the school is. Mm -hmm. And the ones I found were just like super expensive to just borrow. Yeah. That you just rent. And I was like, this should not be like that. This is in 2016. Uh Like these people have, you know, electricity. Yeah. It's not a problem. Yeah. It, it will be powered. Like the classes have electricity and stuff. So like having a projector, they have TVs. They have big TVs. Oh, they do. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, why would you not have a projector? So like trying to grasp how the possibilities that are outside beyond where they have grown up mm-hmm. or what they have been taught growing up was really hard for me. And that kind of started the, mm. the process of me trying to think, how can I work with the teachers? How can I work with the students to tell them that there is more beyond what you can see or what has been made available for you? Yeah. There's more possibilities out there. That's very interesting. Yeah. So it's almost like I'm going to make something up here, but mm-hmm. it's it's as if like the real value of education is that expanding your mind to see that so much more is possible than yeah. you ever imagined. Yeah. And that's kind of what you dream of yeah. uh, for all of your peers, I guess, in Kenya and the next yeah, generation. Yeah. So part of that's technology, mm-hmm. which is a huge piece of it's, that. Yeah, yeah. But it could be a lot of other things too. Yeah. Like entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Maybe they could start a small business renting out projectors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Like yeah. yeah. It's very interesting because um, I look at my friends that I I went to school with. The friends that I um, they were never they were never they were never blessed. Like I don't want to say blessed. They I was lucky. Why don't, got, why don't you want to say blessed? I feel like I'm just considering like my way of blessing is the only right way. Oh. Oh, okay. You know, like I don't want to, so I don't want to say that we're not blessed with an opportunity to go to high school and eventually end, ending up in the US. Yeah. Because they could be blessed in so many other ways. Because I know my friends who have, who we graduated high school or we graduated primary school yeah. or elementary school together. And now they have kids. Yeah. They have kids and they have really, really cute kids. And yeah, I, I see, you know, they have a family and I'm here and I'm still going to school. Kind of trying to figure out like how life is going. But at the same time, looking at, they are still kind of stuck in the same cycle where they picked coffee. The parents pick, picked coffee bins. Mm. They're picking coffee bins. And now they're kind of like, 
It's talking the well now I have a wife. Yep. I have a kid. I need to take care of them. So like there's no need for me to go to school or to go yeah. beyond what I can do. I need to or, survive. You know, I, I yeah, I need mm. to survive. So they they result into this survival mode and that's that's picking coffee or that's mm. doing the manual labor that's close by them because that's the mentality of most people. Mm-hmm. So I think education for me it's not just being book smart it's being able to see the possibilities to see beyond what you have to see beyond what has been made available for you and mm-hmm. be able to be open minded mm-hmm. and be able to actually navigate your open mindedness because sometimes you can be so open minded with so many things but you don't you're not able to focus on one thing sure so like but if you educate yourself on a few specific things you kind of like able to say i can focus on getting school supplies from from the US and donating them all to Kenya mm-hmm. whether that's you know pens or whether that's books whether being able to focus all your attention into one thing that you have actually read about researched about and actually yeah made yourself aware about. Mm-hmm. So looking back and looking at my friends and how they've had to survive different things yeah. and how they kind of been stuck in the same thing it's like how do I change it without necessarily having them think that going to school is the best way or like it's the only way. Mm. You know like how do how do I break a cycle like a cycle of mentality that is so long instilled in them mm-hmm. that they can actually see the benefit of it. Yeah, you're trying to shift the whole world view, yeah, yeah. the whole so, mindset. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's it's tough. I have talked, I've had conversations with them over and over again like my really close friend who's um we went to school together in high school and in primary school. We grew up together. He's in Dubai right now mm. and he's a he's a hotel server mm. and he got an opportunity to just like an agency in Kenya hires people to go to Dubai and work. Mm. And we were kind of sharing the same concept where he's like, yeah, you going to school, I really enjoyed serving and cooking. Like that's what we we would all go to his house and kind of make fun of him because he's a dude and back in my my traditions dudes are not chefs to, or cooks they're not chefs or cooks okay. but um he was like i love cooking so we would always kind of make fun of him mm-hmm. and i know like that's not how it should be but um now looking at him he's like i want to be a chef like i want to be a real chef and go back to kenya and mm-hmm. actually open a five star restaurant mm-hmm. and he's successful but i'm here and i'm going to school and i feel successful too because of what i've have accomplished I've, mm-hmm. i see what where i have come from and where i'm headed mm-hmm. and it, the future looks really bright but there are people back home they don't see that they mm-hmm. only see yeah if i can co- pick coffee beans tomorrow for mm-hmm. maybe maybe four dollars more if i can increase the the rate at which i pick the coffee maybe i'll i'll earn five dollars a day mm-hmm. it's changing a mindset does that make sense like changing how they view their way of success. Yeah. So, yeah. It makes a lot of sense and if I can extrapolate it, I think mm-hmm. it applies in every society. Mm-hmm. Even in America where entrepreneurship is very valued, I think the majority of Americans uh for in the past at least have also had the mindset of like I'm just going to do my job well yeah. and then the company will take care of me. And sometimes that entrepreneurial risk because it takes risk taking, it yeah. takes education mm-hmm. to have a, a dream of like wow, so much is possible, mm-hmm. but it also takes the the faith to step yeah. out and say I'm going to take a risk like maybe I won't survive or yeah, something like yeah, that but yeah, yeah, I'm going to try and see if yes. we can deliver value in an innovative way mm-hmm. that no that you know nobody's really done before yeah. or and uh, and I can see that mindset can 
even when you're not in, in extreme poverty, that mindset holds back yeah. organizations, holds back churches, holds mm-hmm. back uh, schools and just, you know, communities, everything, because you're just stuck. Yeah. You don't realize what's possible or yeah. you see something that's possible, but mm-hmm. you're not brave enough to take a risk and then try and fail, but try and fail and try and fail and yeah. eventually yeah. bust through that into yeah. something new that yeah. that delivers value for everyone. Yeah. And it's, it's this sense of comfortability and mm. being comfortable with where you are is, is easy. It feels really good when, when you've experienced so much hopelessness, especially like in an extreme poverty situation mm-hmm. where you know that I can go and pick coffee for $2 a day and I'll be able to feed my family for today. Mm-hmm. That is, that is what they live for. And being being uncomfortable to say I want to think of something different that I am not sure that it's gonna give me something they're scared mm-hmm. they don't want to leave the comfortable the comfortable spaces that they're in now mm-hmm. because they're scared of what's gonna happen and I think most of that happens when they don't have as you said enough education on how to let's say like how do you start thinking of making espresso like how do you start like trying to think of how do you improve the coffee processing ability yeah. or like the value? How do you add value Move to the, the coffee? Value chain. Yeah, yeah. Build Move a roastery yeah. instead the, of selling yeah, the beans. Yeah. Yeah, thinking of thinking of it that way, but it's because they haven't been shown that. I have, I had never tested espresso until I came to until I was twenty one. Mm. I tested it in. <laughs> now that I actually think about it, yeah, yeah. Um, I had never tested it. Uh-huh. But this is something I grew up with. This is something I knew. I had I had heard of cappuccinos in yeah. movies and like all these TV shows that I grew up watching. Yeah, but I never thought that was coffee mm. until like I was twenty three and I'm here. And I'm in the U.S. and I'm trying to understand how coffee is such a valuable thing here. But back home, it's your means of life yeah, for survival. so many people. It's survival. It's, it's crazy, though, because at Starbucks, a drip coffee costs two bucks. Yes. And that is one person's wage for a whole day's work. Yeah. In and Kenya. Yeah. It's it's so mind boggling because I've been trying to think and kind of like break down how how coffee bec- uh, comes comes from Kenya, makes all the way here mix it all the way to the US and become so expensive. <laughs> but then I go back and it's the same thing, you know, like, and it's, and I understand that it goes like this increment of value because of like its processing. Like, you know, the margins kind of keep increasing mm-hmm. because we pick the coffee cherries and then they have to be processed all the way to like the bean that actually makes, mm-hmm. uh, that is roasted to make the coffee. Mm-hmm. But still, a lot of the coffee is in Kenya. And I believe that, I believe there are many coffee companies right now that actually have kind of ventured into the idea we'll roast our own coffee mm-hmm. and then we'll ship it roasted yeah. or we'll, we'll process it until like to a point where it's we're making more of the profit yeah. than people who are trying to uh, export it. Yep. So this is an interesting thought, which is um, kind of taking it to some Christian theology, theology mm-hmm. of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in your life, it sounds like it was, if I, we don't have to call it blessing, but it's grace. Yeah. That God's grace through these different people really transformed your life mm-hmm. and put you on another track that enables you now to have this vision of like what's possible. Yeah. All these new possibilities yeah. and then to take risks. Uh, to want to serve your people yeah. and to raise the bar for all of them. Yeah. And it's almost like it's not the gospel of Jesus necessarily, but it's like you want to share with them this good news yeah. that so much more is possible. Yeah. 
um, and help them get out of you know into a different mindset. Mm-hmm. And and I think that it's interesting because what I hear you describe happen at um, at the level in Kenya, I also see just broader throughout even affluent societies like America and everything. Yeah. Where yeah. at the end of the day, our human condition is that most of us by default want comfort yeah. and stability. Yeah. And the only way for I think for for Christians that we get dislodged mm-hmm. from that yeah. Yeah. is that we experience God's grace yeah. in in such a powerful way. Where we realize like, wow, everything that we have is just a gift. Yeah. And then we realize we're going to receive everything in the new creation when yeah. Christ returns. Yeah. Which means that we have nothing to lose because even if we lose everything we have, even if we die, yeah. He's going to raise us up from the dead mm-hmm. and then give us everything. Yeah. In Christ and. Yeah. When we have that faith, when we when we have when we believe that, mm-hmm. that's kind of what it takes to take the risk, yeah. Or at least to take the risk for Christ. Yeah. So you can take a risk for money if you see yeah. a great risk yeah. reward. Definitely, yeah, definitely. But it just, yeah, it feels like the things that you describe, like, oh, I wish that people could understand and see mm-hmm. and be educated and mm-hmm. and take that risk. It's kind of similar, even on other layers of society and, yeah. and life, where mm-hmm. we, you know, I dream with Theotech and stuff that we can activate this movement yeah. of Christians using their most valuable gifts yeah. for the kingdom. Yeah. And some of those Christians are going to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. We're going to take the risk. They might lose their you know, their money or everything yeah, like that, but yeah, because God's definitely. a customer, yeah. mm-hmm. they're going to take the risk yeah. and do something innovative. Yeah, definitely. Like just going off that, my mom, um, I grew up with a super woman of faith. Super my woman. mom, like like <laughs> my mom is just, yeah, she, like I feel like what I have received, what my family continues to receive is, is from the prayers that she prayed or she made us wake up to pray. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes he, she would wake us up at like 3 a.m. Every day. 3 a.m.? Yeah. Oh, would wake up at 3 a.m. I uh, get together at a table, like in the kitchen, hold our hands, and kind of spend like 30, 45 minutes in prayer. Mm. We would each take turns. So I lived with my grandma. So my grandma and my three sisters and my mom would all like sit down at a table, like stand at a table, around the table, kind of hold our hands and pray. And my mom has had this um, mentality or like this hope, this this faith that tomorrow is gonna be better. Mm. And the the phrase "trust God" is kind of like my mom mom's go-to phrase mm. for anything and this goes from like when we haven't we never had enough food from the night before and we kind of like trying to complain mom you're waking up as as up at 3 a.m in the morning we never had food last night what are you doing like you <laughs> yeah, know I'm at nine you know <laughs> at nine at nine years old you're trying to like comprehend what is this little lady doing like but um now looking back and seeing what my mom kind of set us up and me and my siblings to believe and to kind of to share in a hope that's just not a worldly hope it's more a hope that's long lasting Mm -hmm. it's a hope of a god that's gonna come through Mm -hmm. even though we fail even though we're not competent you know yeah. And just believing in that and I kind of kind of like going back to share like what I personally ha- have been blessed with. It's just been so much grace because mm-hmm. there were kids who were poorer than me. Mm-hmm. There were kids who deserved this for me. Like there were kids I had to like, there were kids in my, in my school that I had to worry about, about them not having food. Mm. Like there were kids that that we we took care of. There were people that my mom always like uh, always asked us like, "Hey, go check on so and so when you go to school." Mm-hmm. I know their family is not doing that great. Go check on them. Say mm-hmm. hi to them. And my mom like taught us to have this respect for each other and have this be be like the hope that someone doesn't mm-hmm. have doesn't every have, day yeah. that, that doesn't have every day, mm-hmm. and kind of having that mindset is drives me even today. 
I don't want to like only just tell you that this worldly hope, yeah. but I want to tell you that this hope because I know what it can do. This hope because I've learned having that godly hope like and how how that can affect your life and how you live every day mm-hmm. because if i didn't have that hope that my mom instilled in me like trust god tomorrow is going to be a better day yeah tomorrow is going to be going to have food and i i can tell you so many times people just showed up after like we had no food for a while random people would show up and say hey i've been thinking of you for the last couple of months and i just wanted to come and say thank you for something you did so long ago mm-hmm. People would come and visit my family and kind of say those things and bring food. So there were like days where we definitely had no food, but there were days where out of nowhere, people just showed up and kind of blessed us in different ways financially. And it's kind of what happened when I was picked for this foundation. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what happened when I was picked by this lady from Wisconsin. It's kind of what happened when I was picked by the president of the of Northwest University to come mm-hmm. to school. It's it's just been this constant reminder that I'm going to be there for you. That God is going to be there for me. Mm. That God is going to be there for my family. And kind of living in that is what I want to teach people too. Mm-hmm. Because it's really hard going back to like when I was nine years old to try and tell someone I haven't had food for like the last couple of days. I haven't had any hope to cling on to, but hey, there's some new hope that I want to, because it's really hard to grasp, like as people who are not Christians, as people who, who don't believe in God, mm. it's, it's, it's hard to get them to perceive like something, an invisible mm-hmm. hope, like something like they, they, want to have, they want to have food then, mm-hmm. they want to eat then, they want to be successful then, they want to be successful now, Yeah, but it's your constant, story and how you narrate to them of how hopeful our God is and how how trustworthy he is and how he is going to come through beyond what they can perceive it. Mm-hmm. So I want to have that too. I want to be able to help people as people. Mm-hmm. That human human connection, I want to create that. But beyond that, I would love to get to sit down and say, I'm not doing this just because I want to help you. I want you to know that I'm being, my ability to do this hasn't been my own. Mm -hmm. My success hasn't been my own. This is why I feel successful. This is why I am where I am today. Mm -hmm. It isn't because I deserved it, because I definitely didn't. There was so many kids who could have been picked, but I was. Yeah, by grace. (laughs) By grace. And now here, I am being able to like kind of understand all this and it's sometimes it feels like a huge obligation. Yeah, responsibility. A huge, like a huge uh, responsibility. But at the same time, I I embrace it once in a while, but there are tough times where I'm like too much, <laughs> too yeah. much things to think about. But um, I want to be able to get to a place where I'm successful and I can be able to tell people that I'm here I am, not because I deserved it, not because I did better. Yeah. But because there was grace that was beyond what I could perceive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's thanks for sharing your heart. Oh, and I think that is thanks. a, at the end of the day, I would say that is the heart of entrepreneurship um, is that whatever, whatever station of life that we're in yeah. and whatever God's given to us, it's grace. Yeah. And that means that there's also that responsibility. Yeah. We have a contribution to make yeah. um, to serve others, to raise the bar with our most valuable gifts. 
And I love hearing that even in your story from places of uh, extreme poverty all the way to places of you know privilege, I guess, and mm-hmm. being here in the U.S. and yeah. studying here. It shapes our entire life as an offering to God. So mm-hmm. thank you for you know, sharing from the heart. I learned so much from you and like yeah. things that I could never know otherwise, right? Oh. Except that I can hear from your story. Yeah. So this has been an amazing episode of the Theotech Podcast. Yeah. Kimani, thanks thank again you. for joining us. Yeah. And thank you, Chris. I look forward to working with you on different things in the future. And uh, for anyone who's listening, uh, how can they get in touch with you if they want to maybe give to the Hildebeck Fund or if they want to support some of these endeavors in Kenya that you dream of in the future? Is there some way that they should get in touch with you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm on Facebook. My name is Patrick Kimani Nyambura. Okay. So Facebook would be a good way to contact me. And and I have my email, um, which is Patrick Nyambura. It's P-A-T-R-I-C-K, N as in Nancy, Y as in Yahoo, A as in Apple, M as in mom, B as in boy, U as in umbrella, R as in rain, A as in apple, <laughs> at yahoo.com. Excellent. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would love to talk to people more about what God has blessed me with and what he continues to show me because I believe when we share these stories, it's where God comes through every time. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you want to continue to get stories about how God is working in the through technology worldwide, please do subscribe to the Theotech Podcast. Uh, You can get us on the Apple podcast as well as Google Play. And uh, until next time, thank you. Bye. Thank you.